Hello, everyone. Welcome to the House of Learning podcast. You've got Richard, Steve, and Angela. We're back. Good to be back. Hi. So last week was a little different because it was Pentecost. So mm. we had a talk about what it is and why we do it, things mm. like that. And but now we're we're back to becoming like Jesus. We're traveling through the book of Luke as a church, um, and our job is to help you feel oriented mm. as you're reading through along with us because on Sundays we're we're taking a highlight from what we've been reading so to help you feel oriented to give you a bit of fuel on the fire of maybe what God could be showing you mm. um, and hopefully yeah help you get to know like what God's saying through this book um, a little deeper and give you a launch pad as you're having discussions and yep. you're community groups and your neighbors and friends and your family. The context is so important. Mm. Um, to So we like to wrap around the whole context mm. of what the sermon's on and just bring some more depth. So yeah. hopefully you're enjoying it. Yeah. And uh, we're getting towards the end of Luke. We are, we've had a couple of weeks where we're, we're sped up on the mm. reading front and it's two chapters and we left a little bit of the last chapter yeah, last time. So we've actually, I just counted, this is like four whole pages in my mm -hmm. Bible that we're going to talk through today, a huge variety of things. And so we might go a little faster through some of these sections because um, I think last time we did two chapters, we actually had to release it as like two separate mm -hmm. podcasts, which was, I feel like we had to do because there was stuff that you just could mm -hmm. not stop talking about. There were so many important things going on. Um, but today I think I'm confident that we're going to one podcast. I think we can do it. We're, we're going to do this. And if you feel like you need to know more, come talk to us. Yeah. It, yeah. It'd be fine. So let's pick it up. So we're beginning, we were right at the end of chapter 20 of Luke. And there's, uh, like we've said lots of times, uh, some, you know, the, uh, the original authors of the Bible did not put verse and chapter numbers in there. They were added as like a early medieval device to help us find stuff and reference stuff, which is great. It's really helpful. But it does mean that sometimes we see like a large 21 and think, oh, that must be the end of one thing and the start mm. of the next. And it's not always. And so this is one of those times when I think Luke really wants to put two things that happen together and so we want to do the same. Mm. And so we're, we're just picking up something that Jesus says at the end of chapter 21 in verse 45. Uh, and it's really interesting because before this, we've had a couple of chap chapters where sort of conflict and tension between Jesus and the religious leaders is playing mm. out. And he's called them on some stuff, um, tried to get the religious leaders thinking, get people thinking. Um, so there's a whole, you know, <laughs> crescendo of stuff right. that's been going on. But at the end, he gives a warning to the people mm. about the religious leaders, but it really connects to what then comes next in chapter 21. And he says to, to the people, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes love greetings in the marketplace and the best seat in the synagogue and the place of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Mm. So it's 
a pretty scathing indictment on the character and practices of some of these scribes. It's a it's a picture of sort of ostentation, like mm. religious ostentation, and um, that they're doing things which give an appearance of magnificence in the religious realm. I've got like these, because not long robes isn't just like, oh, they were a fashionista. The like they robes had it. religious significance because mm. the border on your robe had, you know, the, all this religious imagery. And, mm. and so it, it was a way of being like, I'm more religious than you. Mm. Um, getting the, 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 the long greetings, being like a, a pillar of the community that people really wanted to honor and value you um, probably mm. says something about their level of insecurity and where their value was. Um, they, they want the best seat in the synagogue because it, it says where you sit in the synagogue says mm. something. It's kind of like at a wedding. Like, you know, if you're on the top, uh, if yeah. you're on the top table, you know, you're part of the core wedding party, you know, you're really prominent uh, position of prominence. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, um, and, and the play a similar thing with a place of honor. Um, and so it just, a pa it paints a picture of these people wanting to appear as something craving being valued by others. Um, and and yet these are the same people and this picture then they but they devour widows houses mm. so they abuse their positions that they've uh, you know the authority the honor the prominence they've got um they that actually gives them opportunity to gain out of other people's loss and it's the word devour brings me like into like predatory yes. sort of imagery too. Yeah. Like preying on those yeah. who can't defend themselves. Because mm -hmm. that's like a, a widow in this culture mm -hmm. is a very helpless, destitute, vulnerable person, economically, socially, religiously. Um but uh, but then the the indictment isn't done. So that like so they have this prominence. This is how they use their prominence. But then, like, what's that attitude? Well, they make a pretense of long prayers. Yeah. So it's like they're doing long prayers, but their long prayers. Do you remember that we had the story of like the um, the Pharisee who was like, "Thank you, God, I'm not like this sinner next yeah. to me," and then the sinner was like, just repenting and chest. confessing and like, "God, I'll oh, forgive me," and you know. So he he you've it just that the echo of that picture comes back and you've got them, they're making long prayers, but their long prayers are a pretense. Yeah. They're not the long prayers of repentance for what they've done or asking God to value them or anything like that. It, it's a pretense. It's a game. Like the, the content that should be there in their prayers is not. Mm. And, and so it's a sort of picture of someone who, although they've got this appearance of being religiously great, are actually religiously vacuous. Mm. And what they're actually filled with is injustice. So it's, I mean, it doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> it's just a horrific picture of how broken someone can be. Yeah, and it's not even this picture of just um, doing something wrong. It's... Um, 
because we might do something wrong just out of ignorance or just not knowing, et cetera. But there, it's that that when they describe this, but this pretense of prayers is almost they're intentionally deceptive. They've intent almost. It, it's given me this image of intentionally. Um, really pursuing their own gains, mm-hmm. you know, is really at the heart. And, and isn't Jesus always doing this, exposing yeah. our heart's attitude, people's heart's attitude, versus what he, how he wants our hearts to be shaped? Yeah. But then get this. So what happens next yeah. is really interesting. This is why these this break doesn't seem to make a sense. No, well, starting Luke's mm-hmm. wording is Jesus looked up and saw. Yes. Yeah. So connecting so it's, right to the yeah. It's like Jesus is verses. is looking at the religious leaders. He's all, I can imagine him kind of pointing. He's mm. talking to the people, pointing to them, mm. and it's like mm. they sacrifice the vulnerable for their own gain because of their weakness and their emptiness mm. and their insecurity. And then Jesus looks up and he sees, so this is beginning of chapter yeah. one. He looked up, he saw the rich. 21, put, chapter 21. Cha- yeah, chapter 21. Saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So you can just, like the offering box, uh, you know, you can sort of imagine, you know, thunk, like right. go, a gold bar goes in or, you know, yeah. whatever yeah. it is, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, you know. Uh, sorry, guys, to hold up the queue. I've just got so many coins to put in. Yeah, you know? yeah let me come to this big box <laughs> yeah. and show you. Um, mm-hmm. but c- because this issue of pretense is coloring our view of what ha- what is happening. Mm. Luke's trying to connect the two. Um, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Mm. So this is like the the picture of the smallest amount you could give. Yeah. Small, small, small. Yeah, like, like it, tiny. Like, yeah, minuscule. Like not not even enough to buy a meal. Yeah, you know. Um, and so the the contrast. And then Jesus says, "Truly, I tell you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, mm. because they gave out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty." put in all she had to live on Mm. and so you've got this contrast of these religious leaders sacrificing the vulnerable for their gain with a widow sacrificing what she has to live on Mm. as part of her worship to god making herself more more vulnerable vulnerable, becoming more more vulnerable so so it's you have this Mm. picture of like sacrifice in worship got the most wrong it can yeah. with sacrifice and worship being like yeah. really elevated and in its purity um, with this widow and, and the contrast again of like people who give out of their abundance which is, incidentally there's a great lesson on yeah. giving here I always like to think of giving as like this I mean there's a lot in the Bible about it God talks about our money an awful lot because, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's something we interact with in a really deep way. Mm-hmm. But the the markers I always like to think of are like in the Old Testament you had set up a sort of social social institution of the ten percent tithe because about ten percent of the population served in the temple and mm-hmm. needed the support of the other ninety, so the numbers made total sense. And then you've got in the New Testament. 
Porsche trying to raise a gathering for believers in another place yeah. that are in need and for the mission he wants to do. And he says, each of you should pray and lay aside what you can. Mm. But then what colors the lay aside what you can is we tend to think, what can I afford? Is like, okay, well, what's my disposable income? Yeah. And dis- we use that word disposable. But it's it's really interesting because what disposable really means is if I lost it or threw it away, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Right? Oof. And when Paul says, give what you can, he doesn't mean, you know, like buy all the toys you want, you know, like do all the things you want. And then if you've got some left over, like give it to this offering. The mm. can that he means pray about what you can give, this widow is the example of a person who's doing the best at giving what she can. And it involves sacrifice. And I guess I guess the other, I, I'm thinking these three, but really the other thing that helps me understand that can and our disposable income mentality is when David wants to sacrifice to the Lord and he wants to buy the threshing floor mm-hmm, off this guy mm-hmm. uh, to, to worship God. And he's trying to actually make himself right with God again. Yeah. Um, because he's, he's blown it and he, he wants to sacrifice to make good, uh, to restore the relationship. Um, and the guy wants to give him the threshing floor and David's like, no, I gotta buy it. Like I can't give God something that costs me nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, if we're only giving out of our disposable income, um, there's something there's gone awry. Yeah. So, so I think this, this widow's offering is a really important piece of the jigsaw for me mm. to understand, okay, when I think about giving as a part of my worship, this is a really important piece of the jigsaw. So, And the true gift is the, the, the reason why it's so special is because the value is of the gift is determined by what it costs yes. the giver. Mm. Yes, that's such a good clarification. Yeah. There's no value. Unless the cost Unless is there. The more the, the cost, the greater. Gave more, but it mm-hmm. cost them nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The widow gave the tiniest amount, but it cost her everything. Yeah. Hers is the greatest gift. And her gift. value. Yeah. yeah, that's why. Yeah. She actually gave more than everyone. Yeah. And I don't think it means that we should all give everything we've got to live on. Right. Like, because Paul says, pray. Yeah. It's like God yeah. God knows his plans he has for you and your money that you're a steward of. You're a partner with God in it. God will direct you. It, mm. So I, I don't think that, but the, there's something really beautiful about the widow that shows me what I can aspire to as I'm praying, God, what do you want me to give? She helps me make the box yeah, a lot it, bigger yeah. and open my hands a bit more as I pray about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's keep moving on. Yep, let's keep going. Yeah. Okay, find that gear shift. Because okay. we're going we're gonna to hit the accelerator. Right um, and and there, there actually is there's a connection because it's there that at the temple, which had become a source of pride mm. to the people, the opulence, the extravagance, the beauty. Isn't this wonderful? Yeah, like the temple was beautiful. And actually, this comes out in some of the other Gospels a little more um, in some other places as well, where Jesus is like, uh, your temple ain't all that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you just, that's not the thing, guys. <laughs> Weren't there just like gold panels on the outside of the temple that shone 
for miles. Yeah. Like, can you imagine just seeing this gold temple as you're yeah. as you're walking up to Jerusalem, yeah. just radiating? Like it was the pride yeah, and joy. With opulence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, I think it all goes back to like Solomon, you know, the builder of that first temple, mm-hmm. and um, it's not stated in the scripture. People have estimated that the extravagance of Solomon's kingdom in the midst of the ancient Near East meant that he probably controlled about half of the world's gold at that time. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of what kind of, like, we're talking, imagine how crazy, like, that five-star hotel in Bahrain can be Mm, or or mm. Abu Dhabi or, you know, somewhere like those oil-rich countries or something like that, and then multiply this by 100. Like, the temple is extravagant. Yeah. And so... um, and but and but, Jesus, I, but Jesus then he's he's going to challenge I don't know what they're putting their hope in what they're looking for then by talking about some things that are going to happen in the future to the temple and to the nation and to the world yeah and I just want to just before we jump into that just the temple and the extravagance of the temple remember solomon you know commissioned this temple based on what god had told him mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. as well so it's that's not the issue it's yeah. it's it's what people were valuing in in that it was yeah. it was the stuff not mm-hmm. what the temple yeah. represented yeah. Yeah. yeah it's because the attitudes are going wrong i i think we see echoes of the same problem in the church today like one of the things that's happening right now is, um, and it's happened lots of times in church history, is the church has had a great outpouring of creativity and artistry. Mm. It could be stained glass windows. It could be buildings, Mm -hmm. you know, and and some of the times it was to exert political dominance, Mm. you know. But but some of it is genuinely just creativity and worship. And, like, one example of that is, like, and let's have lights and fog machines and music mm-hmm. and uh you know like lots of lots of stuff going on yeah and uh, what we're seeing with young people at a moment is actually is actually they're watching an older generation that love the lights and as this younger generation are trying to find their feet with like yeah but what's the essence of worship yeah. I- i'm actually finding that the way people love those lights is a just like there's something not right about that. Mm, mm. What I actually crave is a little more simplicity. Mm. And so, yeah, that it's so easy for the the purpose of a creativity to get lost over time. Correct, and, and it, become a distraction, yes. right? Instead of yeah. a instead, and that's of something we as a church spotlight are wrestling through. Like we used to use video and lighting and some of these things. And I think it's great to have that creativity. Mm-hmm. But in the midst <clears throat> of people who are like, oh, I'm actually, I'm struggling with finding the heart of worship in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. let's dial it back a bit. Mm-hmm. And we still want to like have a voice of creativity and be used, but we want to be sensitive to, to enabling worship to be the main thing, mm-hmm. not, the, not a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just think of it's. There can be lots of styles, mm-hmm. etc. But it's the substance of it, and that's going to look different for a lot of different mm-hmm. people. The substance is different always the substance well. yeah. should be consistent. Style 
can vary yeah. a lot in that, and that creative expression mm-hmm. can vary. And it, and it sometimes um, what you find may draw you in may turn me off yeah. or, or vice versa. Yeah. And that's, but can we see past that and not let those things? Yes. Yeah. And so Jesus, he just comes out and sells them. Um, yeah. Right. As for these things you see, like look around at the temple, guys. The days will come when there will not be one stone left upon another that won't be thrown down. Boom. So you just tell them, like, this thing's going to crumble. Verse 6, by yeah. the way. And and it did. Yeah. And so this happened in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Rome and and Israel and Jerusalem in particular had an increasing to-do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the Romans actually had to come in, lay siege to Jerusalem and sack the city and really disrupt its culture. Um, and as the one of the prime seats of identity uh, being the temple, they actually wanted to completely eradicate yeah. it. And, uh, and so this happened, and not many years later. A mm. fire came, melted <coughs> all the gold. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. everything was destroyed. Yeah, which archaeologists are still piecing together the picture of that today mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we've got, so he talks about that, he teased that up, and then we've got this whole section. Yes, and then we got a really? long section, and it's the response to this question. So they ask him in, you got to do the verses, Angelo, because I'm like, yeah, so they ask him in verse small. eight. Uh, when will these things be? Right. And what will be the oh, sign seven. that these things mm-hmm. are about to take place? Mm-hmm. So, um, it because proclamations of judgment, exodus, destruction, things like this, mm. people are used to the prophets doing this. And the prophets would often give people markers to be able to spot the pattern of what was mm-hmm. happening, even when it was going to happen sometimes, mm. or what it's happening would be connected to. Mm-hmm. Um uh, more and actually, that's more often than not. It was the correlation of like this injustice is going to lead to this exodus. This covenant breaking mm. will lead to this form of exodus. Um, and so that's the kind of question they're asking. Like, okay, so you're saying destruction and exodus is coming. Like, how will we be able to tell? They're asking for a sign. Yeah, uh, because they want to avoid it. Yeah, they want to, yeah. or just save themselves. Yeah. They yeah. want to know and, and be like safe. A super normal thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. so um, this is where we can, I think, skip a stone yeah. across uh, some of this. And so the, there's some themes uh, that come up um, uh, about like tumultuous times, um, there being uh, false prophets. Yeah, false prophets. I, I was thinking like the backdrop is like earthquake, war, famine, conflict. Just just like a world that you wouldn't want to live in. Yeah, it's where, not a good society, scene. culture, and even nature. Like just brokenness and tragedy is being felt. Like dark times. So it's mm. a picture of dark times. And like you say, um, like deception, false mm-hmm. prophets coming in, things like that. Um and he he warns them that against this backdrop, people are going to falsely say, like, hey, 
it's ha- like this is what's happening. They're going to make declarations about what's happening, why it's happening, mm. uh, where God's to be found. They're going to pronounce judgments, interpretations, analysis of what's going on, and um, and Jesus is is warning them, like, listen to me right now, and beware of all the false voices that will come mm, during mm. the dark times. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, is there's a, a because we're going to end this chapter with Jesus being like, "Hey, so watch out." Yeah. So we're like, "We'll watch for what?" <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things to watch for is like, watch for the dark times, and especially in the dark times, watch for the false voices, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, watch that you are listening to Jesus's voice. You know, primarily, um, and it, it's interesting because he he paints this picture of destruction and dark times, um, but actually, there's a couple of things going on in this chapter because in the foreground, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem in seventy right. AD. Mm-hmm. He's he's painting a picture of what it's going to be like, and warning people like how to respond. Yeah. Which is basically get out of Dodge. Get out of the city. Like get out of the city. Yeah. Like God's don't gonna destroy it. So don't have like don't listen to a false religious voice that says, No, God will save us. Let's stay yeah, because yeah, yeah. no, God is not saving this temple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he's created a new one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which well we talked about that last mm-hmm. week, Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So not listen to that voice. But Jesus he he actually talks about how this what's the dynamic is gonna be in Jerusalem mm. at that time is a, an echo of something a that we're going to see, a fore-echo of something that we're going to see um, a more fulfilled, greater version of right before Jesus comes mm. back because Jesus is going to come back in the midst of dark times mm. to, to establish like the, like at the moment we've got what we call the inaugurated kingdom. It's like now and not yet. It's established, right. but it hasn't filled the whole earth. And for Jesus to like push the boundaries of the kingdom fully mm. out He's going to come back. And the dynamic in Jerusalem is a fore-echo of what the dynamic mm, will be mm. at that time as well. Mm. Richard, I want, can you just, I know you want to go fast over this part, but for the people that don't understand what the inaugurated kingdom is, and just can you ex- explain really quickly, like, just about what you're talking about? Yeah, so Jesus talked about the kingdom of God coming, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he even said at times, like, the kingdom of God is here. And, and actually Luke especially um wants his reader to get that the kingdom has been initiated alongside Jesus's ministry. Like mm-hmm. Jesus is mm-hmm. saying the kingdom of God like, is actually here now and the invitation is to step into it. Um, and people imagined, not imagined, because they weren't making it up. People thought that what this would mean was that God would establish a nation mm. that would be the central nation in the whole of the earth that would uh, be the sort of where Yahweh was mm-hmm, and where Yahweh's mm-hmm. ways were lived and where perfect justice and blessing could be experienced. Uh, because that's part of the promise that God gave to Abraham. And God's plan, actually, this it's, a, it's an echo of what the reality in the garden. Yeah. So the garden was this perfect zone yeah. where Yahweh could be experienced and drawn close to in the blessings of Yahweh were. And the job of the garden was to be somewhere from which that reality could spread. Mm -hmm. And God said to Abraham the same thing, I'm going to make 
you know, this great nation, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And that nation will be somewhere that people can come to and that the blessing can go mm. out from and, and things like that as well. Um, and so, so people had this, this view of like, Yahweh's going to, man, like he, he's going to step in and establish a throne and a rule and he's going to boss it. Like everything's just going to be the way he wants mm. in that nation. And then there may be time for it to spread as for God's redemptive plan for it to spread to the rest of the world. And uh, what actually happens is a little different than their expectation because they thought that what God was going to do to establish this kingdom was actually restore Israel's place on the world stage. Because Israel, it never really embodied, it never managed to get to the the promise mm. of what the nation was supposed to be. Mm. God laid out in the Torah all these covenant expectations. Of like, mm -hmm. here's how this blessing is going to work. Here's mm -hmm. how you're going to <coughs> actually live in blessing. Um, and God was going to have to teach it to them. But they resisted his teaching. They rebelled. And they kept having to be disciplined. They kept having to be judgment. They, you know. And um, so people thought it was actually going to be a physical like centralized kingdom mm. in a place where God would rule full, like he would get his way. Like, like there's going to be no messing around. And that's what they expected when Jesus said he was the Messiah yeah. and yeah. he was coming to yeah. do that in yeah. real time on earth as he walked yeah. in these moments. And actually the truth is that it did happen, not in a place, but in a people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the person in whom the reality of God's kingdom rule was fully embodied was Jesus himself, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. we're going to see in the next chapter. Mm -hmm. Not my will be done, but yours. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is the perfect embodiment mm -hmm. of kingdom reality. Mm -hmm. and, and what God's going to do is the, the locus of the conversation about where the kingdom is, is not a geographic kingdom. Yeah but a family and a people mm -hmm, who have mm -hmm. a shared identity, purpose, and relationship with Yahweh. And so Jesus then, he embodies the perfection of it, but he says, now I'm going to go, be it. so I've, I've initiated something, but then I'm actually going to not be on earth. I'm going to go be at the right hand of my father, but my, my followers, the people who follow me, the disciples of Jesus, the men and women who follow the way of Jesus, they then are going to be like the locus of the kingdom, but they're actually, uh, and, and then it's this mixture of two things that make it inaugurated, not final, is these are still like the Israelites, people who God is going to have to teach how to be kingdom people to. Mm -hmm. So they themselves are going to be in the kingdom, but their kingdomness is still a journey mm -hmm. that's unfolding. Yeah, that's really and helpful. Also, the extent of those people's influence because they're, they're still spread through society, through relationships, through the world geographically, all these other things, um, is still something that is begun, pardon me, but not completed. So the fullness of God's kingdom will be when those people have been fully kingdomized and when the fully kingdomized people have, like... Uh, fulfilled the Eden mandate mm -hmm. and gone and brought kingdom order to all the things around them. Mm -hmm. So we're in a phase where the kingdom has been established. Its reality is real. But the the 
culmination of what the kingdom is going to be is not yet. And actually Jesus's return is going to be the thing that marks the completion of the that project. yet now yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually not the completion is like, that's the end of the story, yeah. but then into a, into a new phase mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of then reality uh, in mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting. Yeah. This, can't get into these questions but no, no. but the the possibility of like faith love getting to know jesus uh learning to trust god and things like that are, are different in the inaugurated kingdom than they are in the completed kingdom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and things like that so there's reason that god is waiting because in the waiting in the mixture that's where um uh, you know, to use the geographic sort of example again, that's where Israel has got open borders. Mm. And so, ah, okay. yeah, so, so so it's not just like God's been like, well, you know, I came and started the kingdom. I'm kind of tired. I'm going for a break. I'll be back later. No, no there's no, purpose no. in the patience mm. of God and why Jesus hasn't returned yet. Well, and is that why at the, and I'm, I'm jumping, but he will talk here about what it looks like to be waiting. Yeah. and patient in yeah. here. And I like what you said because I think that's, you know, he's um, he's talking about a couple of things in here, and we can, and, and Luke's kind of interweaving these stories about the fall of, of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which is coming and did happen, as well as um, really the, uh, Jesus' return yeah. and kind of and the signs that'll happen there. And I think we can get confused at times sort of looking at these, and it's, uh, I like what you said, this, you know, one's in the foreground, the other's in the background. And yeah. if you look at them and you just saw them two-dimensionally, they'd look like they were there at the same time, but it's like looking at a horizon and you've got a certain yeah. set of mountains in one you place. You can't tell that mountain's actually 500 years, 500 years, 500, 500 miles, miles further yeah. away than yeah. that other mountain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's helpful to see. Because yeah. um, right in the middle there, you've got this, like in verse 24, like that I mean, it was basically a picture of destruction and yeah. exodus and judgment and darkness until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So there's that sort of image of like God wants to do something to like allow the kingdom to impact the Gentiles. Mm. And until that project is complete, that that resolution of the, the times of like chaos and darkness, yeah. which is, I don't know, these are apocalyptic sort of images of, of these things really echo the imagery which in a different literary style shows up in Genesis 1 mm. Mm. with there being like, darkness and like deep chaotic waters and, mm. you know just chaos uh, and, and god stepping into chaos yeah, yeah. to bring to bring resolution no i love that yeah. well help me understand um uh in something i used to maybe just unpack this a little bit because i think uh, i used to read this and in verse 32 it has this oh, um, yeah. this statement when he says truly i tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Um, And I think that was a cause of confusion for me at one point, thinking about, well, is he talking about 
them ask yeah. what's he referring to yeah. here so could you yeah maybe... i found this confusing like the first yeah. time i read it i sort of imagined jesus talking to some people yeah. and when he says this generation yeah. i was thought he meant like the present generation in front of yeah. us um like hey you guys you will all not see death s- until this is completed yeah. which for a lot of them the fall of jerusalem that could have been true Correct. And so thinking like, oh, maybe this is talking about Jerusalem. I'd be like, oh, so that makes sense. He's talking about the people in front of them. But then the rest of what he says is like Jesus coming back and the like, you know, Mm -hmm. the time of the Gentiles being over. Like that hasn't happened yet. Right. These people have died. So what's going on? Yeah. 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 And and I think it's just this thing of our our Western way of reading this. Hmm the this and people being present is just such an easy connection to make and the fact that we know no maybe about the jerusalem thing so we're like oh, it seems right it's a bit of a red herring mm-hmm. there's two other possible ways to read the this one is because actually he's talking about this parable of a fig tree it's like right. hey when you, when you see the shoots you know the fruit's coming and he says i'm telling you about what the times are going to be like so that when you when, like people who see these times will know like oh god's about to do something and, and so it, it the this would be the people who see these signs mm-hmm. so okay. it's it, it's about when things come to a head and you see these things when it when it actually looks like this the generation you know that's seeing these things right. so the generation in jerusalem yeah that saw the picture of like the siege national of chaos and the siege of Jerusalem would have known like, oh, this is going to be over in our generation. Yeah. Um, and it was. Yeah. And, and he's sort of saying the same thing. It's like, it's going to come to head yeah. and that like it's showing you like God's about to do something. Hmm. So that's one other reading of the this. There's another reading that's a little more theological hmm. and it could be the more likely, which is, uh, and it's something that Luke talks about in luke and acts in his language Mm. when he talks about this generation he kind of um it's a shorthand for like this evil generation okay so it's a characterization not a generation in terms of like oh you're 70 years or between 30 a.d and 100 a.d or you know whatever it is it's it's not biographical but it's the generation characterized as, mm, as the mm. like the people of darkness, the people who's the generation that sits in darkness. Which generation is that? Yeah. Oh, well, it's been going on since Genesis and three. It's still, <laughs> but that is so yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. a generation, talking about a type of people. Okay. And saying like that generation will not pass away until these things happen mm, is a way mm. of saying like corruption, brokenness, injustice. Like a, a generation filled with evil is not mm. going to cease until Jesus comes back. Mm, mm. And so, like a more theological point, maybe what Luke's trying to make. And so, yeah, this well, is this is a little bit debated. But either of those last two ways of reading this helps us not have the confusion of, wait a second, but the people listening to Jesus, they've died. So, like, yeah. have I did I miss this stuff? Yeah. No, no. That's like that. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that that's really helpful because, it, and in particular as we see this warning, um, because that way, you know, if I think of it in the last reading, the way you've described it as this generation, meaning 
brokenness, the state of brokenness is not going to pass away until I've come back. It's not going to be changed until I come back for good. It started, the kingdom has started. Now he's telling people, um, uh, be careful. Yeah. And to and to be watchful. And so therefore I can read it as saying he's telling these people here and now in, mm-hmm. in the audience that he's talking to at this time to be careful, but also for a warning for you and us. Yeah. Uh you and I to be um watchful as well. Yeah, and that the watchfulness for us really comes into focus in verse thirty four. Yes. Because yeah. So we've just been painted a vivid kind of apocalyptic picture of Jesus, of because uh, um, they asked like, "What are the sign going to be?" Yeah. So Jesus told them, and so then it's like, okay, what about between now and the sign? Does is it just like chill, mm-hmm. keep back, don't worry, like God's going to do something then? And um, it, it says this in verse thirty-four: "Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be mm. weighed down." with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And then that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Mm. So like things coming to a head, like what God wants to do, what God wants to resolve, we don't want to be people that when that happens are surprised and caught out and actually find ourselves in the wrong place. Like people who Mm -hmm. actually need judging, you know, and who actually need to be exodused and you know, yeah. things like who, who need to suffer the discipline um, like that. We, you don't want that. Um, and uh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Like if God's going to have to come and finally be like, okay, I've, I've been patient. I've tried to reach you. Mm. I've tried, but now I kind of need to give you a slap in the face and I'm actually going to confront you. Mm. Like, you know, you you do not want to be surprised by God having to confront you. Totally makes sense. Okay, so what's the stuff that could make that a risk? Because those are things I want to avoid. Well, here's the list. Yeah. Having a heart weighed down is really vivid imagery. So a heart lifted up in worship, mm-hmm. a heart seeking the kingdom, seeking things above. Like Jesus, Luke's full of language that's about lifting our hearts up looking up looking you know um seeking those things which are above seeking treasure in heaven like yeah that's so Mm. but instead of that a heart not just that is looking down but because of what it's connected to because of what's got hooks in its heart as weighed down Mm -hmm. so we got to be and dragged down. Even dragged as you're down. saying that, yeah. it's this notion of dragging yeah. you down, keeping you down. Yeah, you know, not let. It's I, I see like shackles kind of yeah. holding us yeah. down, and it's it's that language he's always talking about. Is I came to free, you know, yeah. give you freedom, and and this is yeah. weighing you down, holding because you down. it's not just don't set your heart on these things. Yeah. It's be watchful about these things yeah. because they have a tendency to get a hook in your heart and pull it down. Yeah. So we need to be on guard against these things actively. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough to just say, oh, well, I don't do that, so I'm fine. I don't need to pay attention to this warning. No, no, the way to pay attention to the warning is to watch where these things are 
and ha- have a constant like have a shield up against mm. those things being things that get into your heart and the the list then actually I'm, what what version have i got in front of me today yeah, i've got esv the first the first word is dissipation yeah have you got a different translation well in dissipation in esv and then in the niv is um Weighed down with carousing, drunken carousing. carousing. That's a good word. Yeah. Both words we don't use very much. No. Right? So that's interesting. Yeah. So dissipation, this is an echo of the prodigal son. Because mm, mm. we sometimes say prodigal living, but actually prodigal living, like prodigal means someone who's kind of ostracized. It's not mm. ostracized living. By prodigal living, we mean actually lavish dissipated, and, and lavish carousing. Yeah. It's it's kind of wasteful, yeah. Living well, like taking your money, your resources, your time, and spending them on stuff that doesn't matter, yeah. Like that. Yeah, you know, maybe it would be, you know, spending too much time doom scrolling on Facebook. Yeah, maybe it'd be spending too much time, you know, eating, drinking, and being merry, mm-hmm. uh, playing computer games. Uh, it, it can be a lot of it, things, it and they could be good things. things. Yeah, too. Spending but, too much time working, yeah, to get more money to buy that second home that you right. don't need. Yeah, or it, 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 uh, or it could be so many things. Yeah, and not that each of those things is bad in themselves. Yeah. but we, I think, can pray and ask God, like, okay, I do this thing. Is that a waste, or is that good? Right, like. Playing games, are you doing it as a form of escapism or is it a fun thing that is renewing that you do in a balanced way? Uh, You know, there's just the actions themselves are not always the litmus test. It's the heart and how it's affecting us and why we do it. That's often the litmus test of is it a bad thing or a good thing? Well, and is that why he's he's connecting these two things? Because he's talking about... Don't let your hearts be weighed down. Don't let your hearts be captured. Don't let hooks come in with these things. It's it's almost the type of thing that can hook your heart, yeah. can capture your heart inappropriately. So it's okay for those things, but yeah. are those the the ultimate of our heart's desires? Um, yeah. And that's the hook when things that are you know meant to be a blessing at times yeah. for us uh, can come in and just hook us yeah. in a way that keeps us um, from really uh, seeking God and, and being lifted yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, And I actually love this word dissipation because hmm. it's such a, a visual term. Yeah, Like dissipating is like disappearing out to nothing. Diffusing, yeah. delusion. So if you imagine like the water vapor coming out of yeah. the kettle and you blow yeah. it and it yeah. just sort of fades away to yeah. nothing. Right? Is that what your life is doing? Yeah. Is your life, when it gets blown on, you know, what's left? Hmm. Because we are called, we are designed, we are commissioned as human beings in Genesis to go push the world into order, hmm. to go affect the world. Like, we're, we're supposed to have an impact. Hmm. And, and is our life the kind of, is it the kind of life where, you know, it's like... And there's nothing left. Yeah. Or is it the kind of life where it's like, hey, all the stuff around it is like it's been soaked by a fire hose. Mm. That's a non-dissipated life. 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the word dissipation, it's, really interesting. Yeah. It, I think it's about actually it, it reaches into maybe something to do with our sense of purpose of what we're yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. And then we have drunkenness, yeah. which is, you know, that picture of wantonness, mm. of self-indulgence, of escapism, of, of things like that. And then the cares of this life. And mm. I'm hearing echoes of the parable of the sower. Yeah, right? I was just going to say that. The things that choke the fruit, yeah. the love of money, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cares of this, mm-hmm. cares and worries of this world, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Isn't that interesting how he so, he just reinforces that over and over is that's what's going to prevent fruitfulness and yeah. to be wary of that and when he's talking about watching out for ourselves guarding our hearts yeah um it's this notion of the cares of the world are going to want to come in and grab you know i see this as a as a um really a call to be watchful but to be on the offense against things that are gonna yeah. be on the to to really guard yeah. against yeah. things that are going to want to come in and steal. And Jesus, he's he's tried to set us free to do that. Yeah, because he didn't say, "Oh, you can just ignore the cares of this life." Yeah, like you're going to interact with them, but you're supposed to interact them with them from a place of seek first the kingdom of God yeah. and His righteousness, mm. and God will really add good. all of these other things. Yeah. Like God's going to provide. God's going to step in with you to deal with those things. Yeah, so really good. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Mm. And and then part of the exhortation that comes with the warning is to stay awake and pray for strength that you might be able to stand before the Son of Man. So the, the, inten- the sort of intentionality of protecting ourselves against those things, but the intentionality of like looking to God, mm. praying, so having active relationship where we're actually seeking God to strengthen us in a way that we don't need to be exodused. We don't need Mm. to be disciplined and judged, but we can stand before the Son of Man. So when Jesus returns, our response can be more of a, oh, I'm so glad you're here, than a, oh, i got to go hide. Right, right. We don't have things to be ashamed of. And so it's uh, it's a pursuit of the kingdom and righteousness, actually, having mentioned that verse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I leave this these verses just thinking like how am i being watchful mm-hmm. what are those things that might be really trying to you know dig their nails into my heart mm-hmm. and steal my affections um from worship yeah. um and gosh if i'm honest you know i i mean it takes me to be um I, I I need to be reflective, you know, introspective, um, but also this gives me hope as well to say, yeah. look, actually, by to praying, to praying about these things, to talk to God about mm-hmm. these things, um, that He will strengthen me in those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the end of chapter one, chapter twenty one. And then we move into chapter 22. So if you're listening and you're like, I need a breather, this is a good point to hit pause, listen to the rest (laughs) of like on your next commute or something. Uh, So we're going to go into chapter 22 and uh, try to pick up some of the big themes uh, in this chapter. And this is one of these uh, sort of change of time, change of scene, Mm -hmm. um, like Luke 
he says, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jr. So he's trying to, it's like end of act two, start of act three. Right, it's like right. a little transition moment. But this here. has been the whole buildup because these last couple chapters have been after he's entered Jerusalem yeah. and he came for... And things are going to come to a head in Jerusalem. And he yeah. came for this feast yeah. and for Passover. Yeah. And so um, tell, tell, can you relate just super quickly, Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover, how those things relate? They're very connected yeah so this is so passover is it it commemorates we'll talk a bit more about this on sunday yeah. like what that means but uh when the israelites had been slaves in egypt and had been struggling to get free had become an oppressed people and god sent moses to and not just moses he used some other people too but mm. to to bring freedom and then uh, God's basically doing battle with the uh, cultural, social, and religious institutions mm-hmm. of Egypt embodied in Pharaoh to bring freedom to his people. And it comes to a head in God's being like, I'm, I'm going to actually have to kill the first, every first mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a sort of destructive judgment to disrupt the generational sin of Egypt. Mm. Um, and But God gives instruction to the Israelites and says, you're going to kill a lamb and have a meal and put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house. And then when I come to judge the land of Egypt, if I see the blood, I'll know, like, you're my people, you're actually trusting in my... Uh, exodusing you mm. out of this, which is, I think earlier on I was saying exodusing, I meant exiling. Exodusing uh, is okay. like the redemptive good leaving of something. Yes. Exiling is the bad judgment. Yeah. But, um, so he's going to exodus and God told, the people and, God told, and this was like this deeply affecting uh, experience of redemption that yeah. the Israelites had. And it, it went on to shape their national identity, their laws, their mm. culture, mm. like everything. And actually... Redemption is always exodus shaped. Mm. E- even there's elements of how God did things in the Exodus that are echoed in other yeah. moments of, of Exodus and God redeeming people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all the way through to Jesus mm. creating this new Exodus from the kingdom of darkness by the work of Jesus. Right. Um, and, and they had to commemorate it every right. year. And so there it was were... a national feast, a national holiday kind of thing. Uh, where they would get together as families and celebrate this Passover yeah. meal, and it was probably the most significant. It was like the premier yeah. religious feast uh, mm. for the Jews. And Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're they're called two different things here. But isn't the Passover is that night when the yeah. angel of death passed over, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread? They it, essentially then they left the next day. Um, and had bread that didn't weren't able to. Yeah, because because uh, leavened bread takes time. Yeah, unleavened bread is what you eat when you're on the move fleeing yeah. Egypt. That's right. Yeah, and so yeah. they are. Sort they of, go together, Passover and this. Yeah, yeah. and they're, so they're kind of acting out yeah. the reality of their experience yeah. in the Exodus on an annual basis with these things. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that's the time of year it is. And, and interesting details. Uh, the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death. 
Isn't that interesting? Because like That's Passover, yeah, and Passover is putting to death of the lamb, and and, yeah. and it's like I don't I think Luke's very intentional yeah. <laughs> there about yeah. putting that right there. Yeah, um, and it says for they feared the people. Hmm. So there's this really interesting. I don't know. I just see a lot of insecurity in when we talked mm. about at the beginning of the last chapter, like what the religious leaders, how they treat people, how they seek value. Yeah. Here they are, like fearing their place, fearing their honor, because they see the people honoring something different and someone and a set of values that actually condemns them. Mm. And so. Mm. And we, we see this escalation where they've challenged Jesus, <clears throat> or they've questioned, they've challenged, they've disrupted, like now they want to kill hmm. um, Jesus. And uh, we, we get the seed of how it's going to happen. Hmm. And so we have Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the 12. So someone really close to Jesus you know, in the midst mm. of all the tension, all the questions, all the challenges, is going to become someone who's, who uh, is actually going to take a stand against Jesus mm. in a way that um, he's he's going to be the route through which betrayal to death mm. can come. And that this is part of Satan's plan. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting insight that we don't get actually Luke talking a lot about. Paul talks a bit more about mm. this, about the powers of darkness and things like that. Um, but what's happening with the chief priests and the scribes is not just a human, not happening on just a human level. It's happening on a supernatural level that Satan actually wants to destroy. He tried mm. to tempt Jesus. He tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby by sending Herod. You right. know, so there's like all these things Satan's been doing behind the scenes. Satan's a part of this as well. Mm. So that's just sort of interesting extra context of what's going on that we remember this, there's a supernatural aspect to the unfolding of God's plan mm. in the world that it's withstood supernaturally as well as naturally by broken humans and a broken creation. And so Judas, he went away and conferred with the chief priests and they promised him money. They were glad uh, agreed to give him money and so we from what we read now on as a reader we're aware like stage left in the corner a plot is unfolding like something's coming yeah here's the yeah so what we read like all the good things well, and some bad stuff <laughs> everything we read yeah. from here on is under the shadow of that reality mm -hmm. that we now know is coming like, so it's a sense of foreboding Mm. it's interesting as well because judas he basically says no to jesus he is not the only one of the 12 to say no to jesus yeah and uh like peter multiple times has said to jesus no and we're going to get one of the big ones yeah later on in this chapter um you know and it it it's really interesting. I think we sort of separate these out a little bit, but I think Luke wants us to actually see how Judas is saying no and Peter saying no, but they're very different no's and they lead to very different outcomes. Yeah. So that's sort of interesting. One leads to destruction, one leads to restoration. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. Uh, and both, yeah, there's well, fear as a part of both. Um, 
yeah, it just well, we'll we'll get to it. Well, let's we, un- we yeah, talk let's about unpack Peter. that yeah. in a little bit. Yeah, because uh, we we do because we've been talking about an hour, so we're going like, yeah, okay. to be pretty speedy, but it's okay. Uh, so so then we get to um, like under the shadow of knowing that's happening, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. Yeah, and we can be a little quicker talking this through here because actually we're going to focus on this on Sunday. Perfect. Um, so that's okay. Um, and so when uh, when the day came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, this is like verse 7 and 8, we get uh, a, a real nice detail of Jesus again having this sort of miraculous insight, this connection where God is miraculously providing and Jesus knows what's going on and the disciples have one of those wow moments um, because they're these itinerant travelers in Jerusalem, which would be packed with people. So they rock up and they need a place. They're like, where are we going to go like do this? group to have a pastor. So they need, they need an event space. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you try book an event space in the middle of event season. Mm-hmm, that's a stressful mm-hmm. thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do? And Jesus says, hey, when you've entered the city, you'll see a man carrying a water jar. Follow him to the house. You'll see this. You'll do this. Basically, um, there's a lot of trust in these disciples. Where Jesus says, yeah, you'll see this, do this, do this. And it just sounds crazy talk. Um, But then sort of the the ultimate trust is, and then you're going to say to this guy, the master or like the, the teacher yeah. says we, we need a room and the teacher will and say, he's sure. and he's gonna say the guy's <laughs> gonna say all right yeah a total a total stranger yeah so it's a it's like a a step of faith for the yeah. disciples to go do what Jesus says but it it plays out the way Jesus mm-hmm, said mm-hmm. and so it's actually a really cool moment um, and so they went it happened just like Jesus said and they got the room ready they got the things mm. together they needed for the passover because there were elements you know like the wine the lamb some uh, some mm. bitter mm. herbs that were a part of the meal uh, cooking some unleavened or buying some unleavened bread right. and things like that so they got everything ready and, and that meal's very carefully orchestrated yeah it's it a sort well. of ritualized meal yeah um and by ritualized, I mean it has a pattern. Yes. And the pattern has meaning. So you've got to preserve the pattern of yeah. the meal. Yeah. And, and uh, by the way, I, I just, I know because I was actually in my, in one of my groups who were going through this as well. So this is that same scene to just uh, put them together where, you know, Jesus is wa- washing the disciples' feet. Yeah, is there, and that's a little sidetrack, but it's fun but to read John. them yeah. together. You can get that from John thirteen. Yeah, John's yeah. trying to show us because the the by the time John's writing, the tradition of the Last Supper, yeah. you know, or the Lord's yeah. Supper, whatever we call it, the Eucharist, the communion, yes. is more well established. And so John's trying to show us some of the Different other things, things. Jesus yeah. was teaching the disciples yeah. at this time about their posture and about how. Yeah this sacrifice should affect them yeah um, and this reality should affect them so it's really interesting mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. read john's take on it yeah uh, so so it gets to meal time so in verse 14 they recline at the table the apostles the 12 are there and jesus says i've desired to eat this passover with you before mm. i suffer so the, again it's like under the shadow he's been telling them like i'm gonna die i'm gonna die I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to die. But then I've really desired for, for before I suffer to have this moment with you. So yeah. there's something really special about this moment. 
Um, and he says, uh, part of what makes it special is I'm not going to eat this again. I'm not going to celebrate what we're celebrating tonight until the thing we're celebrating is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Which in the last chapter, some of Jesus' teaching about what's coming, the fulfillment, mm -hmm. the end of things has been talked about. So we've been, Luke has prepared us for this idea that something's going to be inaugurated and then there's going to be a period until it's completed. Mm. And so actually communion or the Lord's Supper, we'll have to pick it. Eucharist, to call it. <laughs> the Last Supper, uh, what we might, but act, this event. But, but the, and there's something actually that ma makes this exciting and desirable yeah. to Jesus is I'm really, I've looked forward to instituting this thing with you. Yeah. And I think part of the, because I'm not going to celebrate Passover again, I'm not going to yeah. actually celebrate God, ex like getting everyone out of Egypt. Mm until this thing is fulfilled it's a way of jesus being like what we're instituting tonight is the beginning of a new exodus and i'm mm. looking forward to beginning that new exodus because i can also see the end of that exodus mm. and i'm looking forward to, to starting it with you and i'm looking forward to the end of it so it's a tinge of like starting something with a sense of hope and anticipation that it will mm. also be completed um so so the tone jesus sets is really interesting uh and and in the midst of it sort of verse 19 he took uh, the bread he gave thanks he broke it and he gave it to them and and this is something that would happen in the passover mm -hmm. they would share bread uh, jesus also took the cup which again he he blessed and shared and and it's sort of he's taking something that happened in the Passover, but he's doing it a little differently. Mm. And then he gives new words to give new meaning to it. And this is something that would happen at the Passover meal. The head of the household, the patriarch of the family would administer the Passover meal, explaining what it was about and what we were commemorating and how mm -hmm. we were commemorating it. So Jesus is in that role, but he's saying some unexpected things. So what he's doing is taking some of the Passover, changing it, and be like, okay, what we're doing now is I'm actually showing you a different commemorative meal. It relates to the Passover, but it's different to the Passover. And it's going to be a thing you're going to keep doing that's going to affect you in a similar way that the Passover as this feast commanded by God for the Israelites affected them and their identity as they navigated the now and not yet mm. of being an Israel on mission. You yeah, know, and you're going to be a people on mission. Yeah, I like I like that what you said because it's always what he's doing here is um, he's connecting stories they knew and would have you know bathed themselves in in the Exodus and what happened then and this symbolism for that, and then he's not um, simply erasing that but he's bringing a new meaning to, yeah. to that because he's he's there yeah. <laughs> inaugurating yeah. it and saying yes and you know here's something new yeah and he gives meaning to the bread and the wine yeah so he says the bread is his body so it's it, the the breaking of the bread is about the death 
mm-hmm. of, of, of Jesus, the death yeah. of his body. And the taking is a receiving of that death. Mm. The eating of it. This, I mean, we don't have time to go into this, but you read John You will 6. on Sunday. If there's time, a little bit. Okay. Just, <laughs> you've got to read John 6 because yes. John tees up. Yeah, you know that the bread that of Jesus, life. part of Jesus's teaching, when he fed the five thousand, yeah. Jesus foreshadowed this mm. in his teaching, in a way that that teaching would fully make sense once this uh, meal had been instituted, and so uh, it, it, there's a receiving and being nourished by mm-hmm. the death, being affected by the death of Jesus, and then the cup again relating to his blood but it's the blood that's poured out Mm. so when the mosaic covenant when the last covenant was initiated moses took blood and poured it out uh, to sort of uh, as as a way of initiating that covenant relationship Mm. and so jesus says my blood that's poured out for the new covenant this Mm. new covenant established in my blood and so Jesus is instituting a new meal because there's a new covenant relationship. Yeah. Like the, the terms of the covenant now are a little bit different than they were in the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Jesus, has, like Lutz talked about a lot, um, how Jesus is not abolishing the Torah, the right. old covenant, but he's fulfilling. Yeah. That that was an imperfect covenant and now a fulfilled relationship that that was foreshadowing has come. And so it needs new covenant terms. Mm. And so this meal, it, you know, and, and actually Jesus says, uh, you know, to do this um, in remembrance of me, that this is something you're supposed to repeat. Uh, so we'll talk about that on Sunday. Yeah. Um, like, uh, but it's, it's instituting something not just once to initiate this thing, but establishing something that we're supposed to keep doing to keep ourselves connected to the reality of this new covenant begun by his death. And I, I read that um, through this in remembrance of me. I, I think of these you know, two times above there where he said, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, until it, it's yeah. this ongoing remembrance. Yeah. It's not this, oh, remember what was what happened, but also remember what we're going towards. Yeah, which, um, and the only way you can do that is remember the journey we're on. Yeah. yeah. Where it came from and where it's headed. Yeah. And that's actually the journey we're on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, so beautiful thing. I mean, books and books and books could be written about how this connects. Like Paul has loads to say, John yeah. has loads to say, all of the gospel writers record lots of things Jesus said about this. Mm. It's important. Um, but, you know, we're, we're a, trying to get through two chapters. So that's, that's right. enough to like get you thinking about it, keep mm. reading that. And then we get this kind of surprise, right? So it's all about Jesus dying for them. Mm-hmm. And what happens next? They're having an argument about who was the greatest in verse 24. <laughs> You're just mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. guys, what are you doing? Like, it just seems crazy. And I, and I think it reveals two things. It reveals that the work of the Spirit to really change their heart, mm. you know, had had not, um, it had not been fulfilled, but also they didn't really understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
there's there's still a little bit of not i mean sometimes there's active denial like peter's like oh not so lord you'll surely not die but the the sort of psychological denial where they're just their understanding is cut off from what's going on um so yeah they're arguing about who's the greatest and jesus gives this them this lesson and talks about like the kings so this is really relating to kingdom being in the kingdom mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. kings people in royal authority like in the, in the in the world systems looking out of the world they exercise lordship so they use authority to kind of affect people in an authoritarian like this is about me getting my way and and actually i'm the lord you're the pawn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of way it's that top down top, when i say yeah. that lordship over them it's looking down yeah. upon these people and and jesus counters that and says but not so with you and he says this in, in verse uh, 35 rather let the greatest 26. among you sorry 20 the, the numbers 25 are very and small, 26 very, i need yes. glasses um, <laughs> i have mine on so i can <laughs> see <laughs> um, let the greatest be like the youngest because the mm. youngest normally had way less privilege mm. and let the leader be as one who serves mm. And now, like what you mentioned in John, where Jesus yeah. washes their feet, he, he just takes gave the position that example. of the lowliest servant and says, do you understand that I'm setting you an example? Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lesson about great, like what is great making in the kingdom here and what lead, especially of leaders, is required because mm. they're about to step into leadership. So this is really leadership timely for them. looks like serving. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see that play out in the book of mm. Acts. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and then we get this interesting, uh, you know, sort, of, sort of skip down to uh, verse, verse 31. 31. So there's yeah. this interaction with Peter. <clears throat> and Jesus knows that Peter is going to struggle and that Satan wants to tempt Peter. Mm. And he wa- he's going to warn uh, Peter. So we're getting insight into what that looks like. Um, just since we're looking at like Judas and Peter, you know, you might think, well, couldn't he have warned Judas? He did. Luke doesn't record that, but the other gospels, yeah. like we, we get elements of that warning mm-hmm. uh, play out. Um, and, and so he he warns Peter that like Satan demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Mm. So it's really interesting. There's going to be a test of Peter's faith that it's going to be what Jesus said, that if he keeps following the way of Jesus, it's going to be what Jesus said it's going to mm-hmm. be. He's going to be tested, which, yeah, when all your expectations are crushed and Jesus is on trial and going to be killed, like having any hope or anticipation that, that this thing Jesus talked about is going to happen, I mean, it's going to be so hard. I it, we see it. I think we can read this now from a perspective of yeah. two thousand years, um, and say, "Well, yeah, well, Peter, why, Peter, why, did why didn't you get yeah. it?" But remember, <laughs> this is to them, yeah. And we'll see this as we go forward. Even as you know, on the road to Emmaus, when we see these disciples, yeah. everyone's like, "What are we going to do?" Yeah. We kind of put all our eggs in this basket, yeah. and. Uh, and Jesus was killed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. I've prayed for you that your yeah. faith may not fail. When you have turned again, when you have repented, 
Yeah. Strengthen your brothers. Yeah. So you're going to fail. But when you repent from your failure, I'm commissioning you right now to go straight. I'm not that your fail so he lets him know right now you are going to fail and your failure is not going to disqualify you. Mm. I'm commissioning you right now that when you repent from your failure, you've got a job to do. Yeah, I you know and I all I read what I see in this is in that verse 32 when he says and when you have turned again it's also um not and if you repent yeah he he Jesus is certain yeah of what Peter is going to do yeah. <laughs> um that his faith will not fail and he will turn and yeah. repent um and then be strengthened yeah um and Peter being Peter, it's like, oh, Lord, like, yeah. I'm not going to fail. Yeah. I would go with you even to death. Yeah. So Peter's just, you know, he's really confident. And Jesus says, dude, mm. like the rooster's going to, when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times yeah. today, like next morning, basically. Yeah. It's happening. Like by, the time we get, by the time we get to sunrise, you would have denied me three times. Yeah. Um, so we'll... Uh, We'll get to that at the end of the chapter because yeah. then we get um, some stuff in between here, um, at, which helps set the scene for actually how hard the betrayal is, which is like why, why I think Luke splits mm. it up. So we'll mm. return to that. <coughs> I feel like we're really booking it. Got a foot on the gas. We do. We do because I'm looking. I'm like, I've still got a full page here yeah, to go. Yeah, there's still a lot to go. Uh, but it's okay. We're going to say enough to orient you to throw some fuel on the fire you're going to read it hopefully you're going to pray about it talk about it in community mm-hmm, and get mm-hmm. more out of it so that's fine so now we're in verse 35 yeah that's so, where we're at, so right. now um jesus i think is letting them know like hey the tone of what it looks like to be my disciple on mission in this world is mm. going to change mm. and actually you're going to experience the change in tone that I've experienced in the same way the religious leaders have gone from inquisitive questioning withstanding to threat. I'm actually under threat from Mm. them at the beginning of our ministry. When I sent you out, I said, you can just trust God's provision. There's going to be people who will receive you. You do not need to Mm. be feel under threat. Like actually it's almost like there's a blank canvas. Go roam, go adventure as you go tell yeah. people about the kingdom. But it's like now, actually, you're going to need to prepare because it's going to yeah. be mission under threat. There's going to be persecution and uh, you're going to have to be on guard. And actually, so the he, he uses the imagery that he's used before um, now of like now you actually, you need to, buy a cloak you need a knapsack you need provisions if you haven't got a sword like you need to buy one <coughs> he's not actually saying you need to be militant but he's just countering what he'd said earlier oh, gotcha. on at the beginning of, of, of ministry um and so yeah so they're they're being warned about how it's gonna how about how it's gonna yeah. change um and and, and, and the using that that prophecy from Isaiah yeah he was numbered with the transgressors that he mm. quotes in verse 37 it's like I'm going to be numbered with the transgressors mm. and that means you guys are like yeah they will come for you next mm. which happened yeah. um, you know they the book of Acts is not a walk we'll in see the park. that <laughs> we'll see that yeah 
there's coming to there's life. deaths, there's fights, there's all sorts it's, going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because, again, you get this little insight that the disciples, they get it, but they don't get it. Right. So then, like, one of the disciples is like, look, Lord, I've got two swords. And he's like, uh, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I didn't actually mean, like, hey, we all need to arm ourselves. Yeah. Because actually, in when they come and arrest Jesus, one of them pulls out a sword. Yeah. And, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Um, and so, it, like, what I'm talking about is, a, is this is a change of scene, a change of tone, a mm. change of, like, what it's going to look like not literally guys has anyone got a sword <laughs> right so they've not quite understood what he's talking about because again they don't really understand what's just about to happen to jesus jesus has got insight that they haven't got even though jesus is trying to communicate it with them and so um it, it i don't know the, those last two or three sections like they're arguing about who's the greatest peter's gonna deny him but peter's like no, i won't he, he tries to communicate, hey, guys, things are about to change. And they, they're like, oh, uh, but they don't really get it. Um, I don't know. It's I mean, Jesus doesn't react this way. But if I was Jesus, this would be moments of like, you know, slapping my my palm against my forehead. Yeah. And be like, oh, you guys, like you just and being frustrated. Um, and actually, Jesus it's going to happen in as he prays here as well. But it, there's a growing tone i think luke's trying to set the scene of jesus being more and more isolated as the only person in a crowd of people even mm, who are mm. close to him who really knows what's going on and what's mm, about to happen mm, and what he needs to do mm. that even those closest to him you know are missing the plot right yeah Right. Well, and it's, you know, I think back to as we started this chapter too, we had this, we had this, we've got two warnings here, one to everyone that was listening to be ready. Yeah. Now he's also, you know, so he's continuing, he's got a smaller audience and part of it's still, hey, be careful. Yeah. And in both cases, he's sort of rebuking kind of wrong, wrongful thinking, um, you know, the scribes and Pharisees who viewed prestige um, yeah. and power and he, and and here the disciples are arguing about status and, mm -hmm. and power um and he's like how many times is he is he showing that it's very unexpected yeah this is gonna be different yeah. um and he knows it and we'll see here as we get into the garden like he actually he totally gets it and he says you know as he goes out to the Mount of Olives to pray, um, you know, his prayers are, are like, no, he's the one who gets what's actually really happening. Yeah. 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 And so he go the, like the next scene, then he went out. So after the meal and, um, like, especially in John, we see that around the meal, Jesus shared lots. He taught them yeah. lots of things. He talked about lots of things. So they've had this long, rich evening. So they, they're going out in the night, uh, to the Mount of Olives, um, and as was his custom. So this is like a, maybe I, a rhythm Jesus had yeah. to go to this place um, and pray. Um, and it's really interesting having had be watchful in the mm -hmm, last chapter. Mm -hmm. Jesus says to them, pray that and you may watch. not enter in, into yeah. temptation. Like some of the other gospels say, be watchful as well, yeah. but same language. 
Um, and so he tells them to pray. And then he withdrew from them a stone's throw. So he gets a little bit like by himself. So it's just sort of him and his father mm. and the spirit. And he knelt down and he prays. So he's, he's in earshot because mm. there's a record of what he prays. Um, but he's sort of, I don't know, they're like his friends supporting him. But he's doing something by himself, yeah. but a little bit with their support. And, and it's, I mean, we see at the end of this paragraph, verse 45, when he got up from prayer, he came and he found them all asleep for sorrow. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, there's there's something really sad about what's happening. Yeah, the, the, they they don't really understand that there's something going on. They understand this is the end of something, and they're sad and they're upset, and uh, and they fall asleep. So again, the sort of isolation mm, of Jesus mm. playing out, and, and then he repeats to them, like, "Why are you sleeping? I told you, like, get up and pray that you may not enter into mm. temptation. Like, you're mm. about to be tempted. Pray." And so, and, and actually, this combination, we've had it three times in the space of a couple of pages that you need to watch and pray to avoid temptation. We tend to think praying is something you do to respond to after you got tempted and fell for it. And actually, prayer is a proactivity against temptation. This is quite different, actually, than some of our practice of when we feel like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got to pray. The, this is the prayer that avoids the prayer of confession. Well, and it's, um, think about all this language she's been using about being watchful. That's being assertive and being mm-hmm. proactive in doing things. And, and this is what Jesus is is doing. Is yeah. He's saying that's what it really yeah. looks like, is being proactive. And then in the middle of Jesus telling them, watch and pray, we have what Jesus oh. prayed. And I think this is really interesting because it's insight into Jesus and how Satan wants to withstand Jesus. But it also, I think, models for us if we ask the question, well, what do you mean pray? What kind of prayer? Mm-hmm. This kind of prayer. Mm. This is the prayer you pray to avoid temptation. Mm. So it's actually, it gives us insight to Jesus, but it has application to us. Yeah, that's that's great. And, and what Jesus does is he kneels down he prays he says father if you're willing remove this cup from me so the cup Mm. is we just had of his death of his blood Mm -hmm. being poured out to institute a new new covenant yeah um nevertheless not my will but yours be done and that language should I don't know, kick something in our in our brain because when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, yeah, this is one of the ways he taught them, Father, mm-hmm. to, to address the Father and actually pray his will be done, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because this now colors in the Lord's Prayer. When you're praying, if you pray the Lord's Prayer or use the Lord's Prayer to shape your prayers and you pray your will be done, you're not just praying about the world, saying, God, yeah. go do what you want in the world. It's a prayer of yielding yourself mm. to God's will. So it's really interesting to connect what Jesus is That's teaching on prayer with what Jesus was showing the disciples in prayer here. And, and it becomes clear, like, because it says, and we don't have time to talk about this, but it says Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Mm. So the flesh Jesus took on was not Adam's before the fall. It was Adam's 
after the fall because that likeness and image. Mm. And what Jesus did is he took the likeness of that, but he brought the perfect image and person of God himself, mm. the fullness of into. the Godhead into it. And he re-imaged sinful flesh mm. and restored it through his life. And so, um, but there's something about occupying flesh, never mind your sinful flesh, where the prospect of dying is his being honest and authentic with the Father and saying, yeah. my flesh doesn't want to do this. And so acknowledging the pain, the anxiety, the, the fear, the hurt that is in front of him, but being able to yield those things and commit them in faith to the Father mm. and say that I don't want my will to be shaped by that. I want my will to be shaped, my choice, my intention, what I do, my action to be shaped by your will, Father. Mm. So it's a prayer of finding peace, reorienting all of that stuff that's going on inside of him by yielding it to the Father. Mm. So it's, it's such a profound prayer. And so telling then when we're thinking, okay, we're supposed to be watchful, hard times, being on the mission under threat, like pray, don't be tempted, it's going to be hard, like all of this stuff. And right in the center, the like the profound upsetting thing we see jesus go through but beautiful thing jesus does in the midst of it teaches us how to navigate all of this hard stuff that is the sandwich around it like this mm. like this is what a prayer of yielding is like and and it's short but again i think it's one of those oh. you could write books and books oh. about and there have been yeah, yeah. yes i'm sure yes yeah uh. Uh. So yeah you could you almost want to just take your breath and yeah. just consider that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, of all the things God shows you as you read through and talk yeah, in community yeah. through these chapters, like take time to write that prayer out yeah. and ask God to show you how to be affected in your own prayers by this mm. prayer. Definitely. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and, and then we go from this moment of beautiful yielding to a crowd shows up. Judas's betrayal. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. Mm. So the sort of tragedy, subterfuge, you know, it just all, all of the betrayal stuff and hiding, trying to appear something you're not, mm. just uh, <coughs> just a mm. horrid moment follows, and, and it's going to lead us into Jesus's trial, trial before Pilate, crucifixion, which. Actually, I'm thinking like maybe we take Jesus' trial, which is at the end of this chapter. We might make that a part of the next conversation. Mm -hmm. But maybe what we'll do today is we'll finish just with a quick chat about like Peter's betrayal. Yeah, because that that that's the we we started talking about that, so I think we should finish talking about that. Uh, we did mention the cutting off of the year, and Jesus being like, "No, no, no, that's like that's not what I meant." You kind of got it wrong. Yeah, kind of got it wrong. Like my my talking about swords was about you realizing how you're going to be treated, not licensed yeah. to go like use violence to yeah. to do stuff. Um, and so, but now, Peter follows. Yeah. So now now we get uh, Jesus is arrested um, by this crowd, and. Um, 
I, do you know what? I just got to read verse 53. It's really interesting. Um, he says, I was with you day after day in the temple. Why didn't you lay hands on me then? Mm. This is your hour, and it's the hour of the power of darkness. Oof. So again, it just like, he's telling them what you're doing is aligning with darkness, not light. Um, but it's again, it's helping us see that more actors are in play here than just the humans in the right. story. That what's happening right now is the kingdom of darkness is trying to fight against the kingdom of yeah. light. And so there's a there's a whole way of talking through what the cross is about that um, brings those aspects into the foreground called Christus Victor, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And so I just want to mention that verse because it's such an in- interesting and important connection to a whole way of um, looking at the cross. But any- anyway, they, they seized him, they led him away, they took him to the high priest's house. And yeah, verse 54, like you say, Peter followed, but at a distance. So he's inquisitive. He's not like, oh no, self-preservation, I got to run. So there's like a little bit of faith or something in play yeah. where he is trying to see what's going to happen. Maybe he thinks he'll be able to do something. I don't know, but he's he's definitely wanting to see what happens, uh, but, but at a distance. And so the, the scene of the high priest's house, it would have been a grand house. It probably would have had a courtyard with columns, like a colonnade of columns or trees so there would have been um, a sort of a semi-public space in the middle where they could do things like feasts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then space around the sort of, out, sort of, the sort of outer area where people could um, be around, but sort of not be in the circle, but see what was happening. So I can sort of imagine here, and, and it says, you know, some of the uh, people who, who were part of the crowd had kindled a fire in the courtyard and uh, so they're in this courtyard but they're able to kind of see through the columns or see through the trees what's happening more in like the inner courtyard of the house and so um just like like viewing um but they're not they're not close to it um and so he he've got peter sits down among them so it's really interesting like and we I mean, there's the classic, like, preacher's cheesy sentences mm. of, like, don't warm yourself at the enemy's fire, or, you yeah. know, like, things like that, <laughs> okay. right? But I also think, like, what's his alternative? Like, if he if he draws close as a Galilean with a different accent, they're going to be, like, or, or being recognized. Like, he can't just go, and they just arrested him. It's not like he can go marching in. But if he tries to watch from a distance by like climbing a tree and look like that's going to be really suspicious. And Jesus has told them you're going to be under threat. Mm. So kind of blending in and hiding in the crowd to watch what's happening. I don't know if there's much alternative choice for him at this Mm. point that makes sense to him. But anyway, he's he's there. He sits down among them. And then we get these interesting escalation. Right. So a servant girl comes. This is like the least threatening person, right? Mm-hmm. Servants, like even if you're a visitor in the home, you get to boss around the servants, and it's it's a young girl. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like this 
And this burly servant who really daunted Peter came yeah. up, right? It's a servant girl. Just this innocent looking. And sees him sat in the light, looked at him closely, and uh, says, weren't you also with him? I uh, asked the question, and he denied it. He says, I, I don't even know him, right? Pretty over-the-top reaction yeah. right away. Not yeah. not just no, but I, I've, no, I've never even met this man. Yeah. Which, of course, is... And I don't know, there's something about when we go into denial mode where stupid stuff comes out. And you saw it in Genesis, you know, Adam's yeah. like, oh, it's the woman, the woman you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, Peter, if you don't even know him, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing here? So it's like there's, there's something... You're kind of out of place. What you're saying, yeah. Mm. Um. And, and, and then we get later on, someone else saw him and said, weren't you also one of them? And be like, I tell you, I'm, I'm not. not. So I don't know Jesus. I'm nothing to do with him or his group or anything. Mm-mm. So like distancing himself even further, you know. Um, and then about an hour later, so goodness knows what's going on in Peter's head during that hour or, or even the time between the first yeah. you know, instance. But he's still the there. He's still there. Yeah. Um, and uh, someone insists. So, so the insistence is like an escalation of questioning, yeah. right? Certainly you're with him because you're a Galilean. And, uh, and Peter says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. So the, the sort of irrational, uh, you're just being stupid. Yeah, you know, like well, your rubber and I'm glue. It just like yeah. it doesn't have a reasoned response now, but just saying you're just being stupid. You're not making mm, any sense. Mm. Um, and so, actually, there's a sort of escalation of Peter's denial, but there's a deterioration of in in his denials as well. You know, there's just a crumbling of him holding himself together. Right. In it's the crowd. it's. And it's his, it's like his integrity's just being, yes. just yes. just falling apart. And and some of those other gospels r- really like highlight that escalation. You know, even further talking about like no, I, I mean I think is is it in Mark? I was I was just trying to find it where he's, well, maybe it's Matthew where he um, he's calling down curses on yeah. them, and he's saying and he's like he's. The nasty side of Peter is coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I swear I don't know him, yeah. you know. And and, uh, and yeah. Jesus has said, there's going to be three times you're going to deny me, yeah. and the rooster's going to crow, and it happens. A- and immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then this is why this is one of my favorite bits of Luke, is verse 61. So yeah. immediately, so... The, the the curses, the denial has not even finished coming out of his mo- out of his mouth. Yeah. The sound of the rooster crowing is in his eyes. Still echoing. Yeah. And it says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter rem- Peter remembered what the Lord said. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Yeah. And I just think, here's Jesus. Right, looking through the trees or looking through the columns, like finding a way to make eye contact with Peter. And Jesus is on trial. He's being beaten. He's being mocked. Like he's being maltreated and abused. 
And in the midst of Jesus having those things happening to him, he knows the moment. Right. It's so important for him to look and find Peter and make eye contact with him. Like, Peter, remember what I said. Yeah. When you repent. And he went and that's what he did. Yeah. He went out and he wept. Yeah. Because because that look, I just it like imagine what would be in Jesus's eyes, because it's not a look of condemnation. Because no, what he wants him to remember all. is, I've got a job for you to do. Yeah, repent, turn back to me. It's a look of like love, and invitation, and reconciliation. Because that's what Jesus had told him. Yeah, is you're going to die to me, but we're going to reconcile, and I'm going to use you. Yeah. And and I just think there's so many times the enemy gets a hold of our thoughts when we are having a Peter moment and makes us think, I need to avoid Jesus looking at me. And we just so desperately need this verse to affect us that the way Jesus looks at us Mm. is like this. Is, Is with that you know that certainty of that verse before yeah when you not if yeah when yeah you repent yeah um i'm and i'm still here i still see you i see you i'm for you yeah like i'm literally being beaten right now but i'm gonna look at you and yeah and find you and invite you yeah yeah it's just such a profoundly unexpected thing mm. for Jesus to do if he was a human like us. Uh. It, I think it just the different nature of Jesus mm. shines so clearly here and it mm. displays God's heart uh, in such a profound way. So, yeah, something so beautiful about this. So it's one of my favorites. Yeah. So I, I, I love this chapter. Yeah, yeah. It's, so there you go. So I'm, we, I'm glad we... We've talked for a long time. <laughs> We're going to have the trial next. Yeah. And so we'll... uh, So if you've made it to the end of the podcast, I need to put in the notes for this podcast. Make sure you listen, even if you like fast forward the beginning, make sure you listen to the end because it's my favorite part. Yeah. Um, So yeah, if you've listened to this, well done. That's uh, that's a lot to to get through, but I hope it's really enriched your awareness of what Luke is trying to lay out for us so mm. you can grab a hold of it and then Jesus can use that to, mm. to speak to you. So enjoy, talk about it. And uh, yeah, next week we actually get to like death and crucifixion scenes mm. and things like this. We, we slow down a little bit to, to uh, revel. I'm not even sure that's the right word. Can you revel in Jesus' death? Well, we kind will can just... In a weird way. Yeah. But to sit... Uh, in that so that's that's coming so we'll look forward to that we'll see you next week okay bye bye